0: Have you ever dreamed of going to Hollywood and making it big? Well, these are the stories of people who have made it, just in a different way. They're the unsung heroes behind the screens that make movies and television come to life. Welcome to the Right Scuff Podcast, where we talk about films and interview those who are just starting their careers to some of the biggest names in production and post-production. Our mission is to inspire you through the true stories of people who have achieved their dreams. We'll be talking to Foley artists, screenwriters, sound editors, picture editors, the list goes on. And for film fans, we'll be focusing on sound and what it takes to create Foley. Hi, I'm Sarah. I'm a writer.
1: And I'm John, a professional Foley artist in the film business for over 40 years.
0: He's worked on over 500 films and is a 37-time nominated and 9-time MPSD winner for big titles such as Inception, The Matrix, and The Dark Knight.
1: You can find us online at... TheRightScuff.com, and please be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast once again. And as we've mentioned in the past, we have people not only in the sound business, but also people in the broader sense of the business. And today we're lucky enough to have Matt Hurwitz with us. And he is uh, somebody I met many years ago through mutual friends in He's written extensively on uh, many areas in the music world, et cetera. and in fact, I would say, and I believe other people would agree with that, he probably is one of the most foremost um, people that I, the, with information. In other words, he's one of the most, he knows everything about the Beatles, let me just put it that way. And, uh, so well, assuming- when
2: when we met, you turned me on to the first Beatle bootlegs that I ever <laughs>
1: heard.
2: Oops! Don't know. don't give me a legal trouble. I mean, there, they, no. What are they? What are they? What did they used to call those? The, the aftermarket or
1: foreign pressings or something? Right. The bootlegs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, so Matt, welcome to the program. And uh, what I think I'll do is just have you just do a little intro, like tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Well, let's see. So I'm uh, grew up in the Washington D.C. area. My um, my uh i actually had a i actually have a, a civil engineering degree i I, re- I- wanted to build the the metro in washington but i always had a fascination with you know movies and uh movies and recording and the beatles turned me on to recording and i uh I had moved out here to to uh l a really to get into to voice over doing uh, character voices and and as as you know there's a there's there's one character i i recently have gotten to do that uh I was doing, been doing since I was young.
1: Okay, now you had to you have to do it now it's because you, you, you tease the audience. Well, blow me down. Looks out,
0: Olive! you'll get killed, to death. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and folks, I I know, I know at home you're not you're only hearing this. I wish you could see Matt doing this with his face. It's hysterical. I've <laughs> so. never seen
2: what it looks like. <laughs> but anyway so uh I, I was doing engineering and uh here i w- w- came out to la and you know it was while i was trying to get into doing voiceover and did a little of that and got in the union and everything and and um and i took over some guys while i was still i was working on the la metro and uh, i took over in the early 90s and and took over some guys beatles magazine and when i got laid off that's what i, I did for a living for for five years a fanzine called good day sunshine and i, I learned how to Learn, you know, r- write about that stuff the way an engineer would, and that's still what I do. Really, is, you know, how do people make things? How, you know, either everything from cinematography, recording, um, visual effects. Uh, you know, I've got, got to learn about what you do, and it's it's just a wonderful, 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 wonderful thing to get to to, uh, you know, hear from you know some of my uh, my heroes and, and learn what they do.
1: Well, now, now to that end, going back to when you took over the, uh, the magazine, now you really hadn't had a lot of extensive work in, in, in publishing. publishing. And, and yet um, you, you at that point still knew a lot about the Beatles. I, I, I'm pretty sure if I recall correctly, you, you, could, you could spout off things and names and dates and things that I, I would never have known. And uh, was there one thing that you did early on that you're really happy with? You're like, oh, that's, you know, I don't know that everybody's really ever heard that.
2: Well, even while I was still an engineer in 19 – here was this – 94. Um, actually, just before I got I got laid off, <laughs> mm-hmm. I got to do uh, – I was still doing that uh, – helping this guy with this magazine. I hadn't taken it over yet. And I got to do – I had made friends with some people at Capital and one of the, the smaller labels there, and they were doing some Ringo reissues. And I got to – at that point, got to – to uh, research the, these two albums they were reissuing, one of which had never been out here called Old Wave. It was produced by Joe Walsh and the other one Stop and Smell the Roses and, and got to, uh, you know, research the recordings, go in and, and look, look at and listen to outtakes and see how the, how the tracks were built and, and write the liner notes and interview all the musicians and engineers and folks and, and, and
1: build the story of how, that was, uh,
2: how how those albums were made.
1: When you say old wave, that was the song, right?
2: That's the name of the LP. I'm yeah, sorry, the album. LP.
1: When yeah. that was, it was an EP or an LP?
2: Yeah, it was an album, full okay. length album. Yeah. So it came out after uh, "Stopping Some Other Roses" had not done well. So it, it, he actually didn't have distribution in the states, and it came out in Germany and Canada, but not in, not in America. Most American fans had never heard it. Right. It's, a, it's a It's a good little record. I like it. So, but it was great to, you know, it's always great, it's always a great thing to be able to give, uh, either, um, fans or people who, who do the work you do, but, or, or people who want to learn about it. Give them, you know, the, you know, let them feel like they're on the inside to experience. This is how we did it. I mean, one of my favorite things whenever I do an article is I'll send it back to the people I've interviewed and to review it and check it because I'm always learning.
1: I I could get something wrong.
2: The best thing is – the nicest thing to hear back is that's how we did it.
1: Wow. That's it's like, that's
2: the, that's the best thing. You know?
1: <laughs> so so you, you took over this magazine, if you will, for about, was it five years, you said?
2: Yeah, five years. And then in 2000, I, I just I just couldn't keep it up. It was just too much for one person to do. And I did it differently than the guy who did it before me. And, and I was kind of like did everything and I did it like an engineer. So I was like a hmm. you know, perfectionist and, you know, it took a long time to get them out. And uh, effect, so then
1: I. yeah, In fact, how, how many did you publish a year? I well, think.
2: Uh, probably about one every nine months, but there were the, the. It was a book. Some of them were ninety-six pages. Some were one hundred and twenty. It was a book, now and if, there was a lot of a lot of detail about lots of
1: things. If anybody in the audience wanted to find these, is there a place to find them? Uh, eBay. <laughs> they're, they're
2: not really around any longer. Okay.
1: okay. But there's a lot of good. You know, you to, You
2: know, Paul had a new album. I'd interview his his producer and, and the engineer and learn how they did it, and
1: that's still sort of do that. So then, once you finished that magazine, then what was the next step for you?
2: Um, then I was like, okay, what did I what did I just learn how to do? And uh, and that was to to gather information from craft people and put this put their story together. And um, I think uh, uh, after briefly panicking over having no income <laughs> <laughs> and, and transcribing, I could do that. Um, a friend of mine connected me up with someone he knew at, uh, the Director's Guild of America Magazine, DGA Magazine, and I, I, began writing for them, and, and somebody really gave me a break. I, 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 wrote about the X-Files. I did, while that was still, uh, still shooting, it's last season.
1: Well, oh, that's good. Now, any, any juicy tidbits from the X-Files you could share with us?
2: Well, the neat thing there was that was, that was season nine, and, and, um, what came of that was, I, well, uh juicy tidbits i don't know no <laughs> well,
1: anything anything the audience might not necessarily have known you know that happened with the during the course either of that season well, or previous seasons
2: well I, I remember um uh one of the people that was beginning to direct in in season nine was a producer there named michelle mclaren who's gone on to do game of thrones and all kinds of oh, stuff right yes but i i out of that i you know i you know, I got to know Chris Carter and, and Frank Spotnitz, the other executive producer. And, and a couple of years later, they, in 2007, they were looking to finally do it. The studio wanted to do a book on the X-Files. So we got to do a, a book together on on how that was done. It's called The Complete X-Files.
1: That's great. Now, how, how long is the book? Do we know? How many pages? Uh,
2: yeah, it's 200 and some. I think we reissued it uh, uh, the, last year in, to add in the season 10 that they added. Oh. So we, so we, And then now there's, of course, season 11 is on right now. But um yeah, so that was that was really great and get to you know get to interview you know spending time on the phone with again the most important thing I think with, with stuff like this and for people you know for people in the in the uh, entertainment business they don't necessarily need to or want to hear from the stars it's not all about the stars it's about the craft right right it's all about the craft the, the stars who really know know that it's it's the whole team the whole crew that makes movies it's not not just them, and and so you know the best the best way to tell these stories is always to have, you know, have the cinematographer, the director, or whomever t- telling stories, and then have the have the star chiming in as just another another person who who, who made the film or made the, the series.
1: Right now is it, during the tenure when you were there with the D J A magazine. Did was there anybody or anything that came up like, wow, that's really interesting. I never knew that, or you met somebody who was like, you went you were really I don't want to say starstruck, but you thought this is really what a cool job I have! How about
2: how about this? Well, that happens all the time. Still, <laughs> that always happens.
1: Um,
2: the, but uh, you know, over time, it becomes just just interviewing a person who does their craft. I mean, this this past week, I was uh, I got to interview um, uh, the pro- record producer Jack Douglas, who who uh, was Aerosmith's and, uh, producer and produced John Lennon's John and Yoko's last album in 1980, Double Fantasy, and um, he uh, is working with the engineer Jeff Emmerich, who was the Beatles engineer who recorded wow. John John at the beginning of his career so I went over to where they were working to to interview them and and um and uh you know it, these are people I know now it's so nice to be able to walk in and just not be star, not be starstruck and and just right. tell me about the this record and not be making beatle 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 everything people've heard it already right. you know
1: although there's some things they haven't heard about the Beatles I wanted to uh, mentioned to you, do, do you know the story of, um, of course, you know, when the Beatles were first recording, I think, and of course, you know, I'm terrible with names and facts and things, their first album, the engineer that was going to be doing it was an older gentleman whose name I forget at the moment, and it turned out his assistant actually ended up recording them early on. Do you know what I'm talking about?
2: I'm not familiar with that. Okay. You're talking, you talking about at EMI?
1: Uh, I think it was at EMI, yes.
2: Because Norman Smith was the the engineer that uh, that, that he was the, he created the sound of Beatlemania that went from 62 to to 65. Oh really okay they, so then
1: yeah, yeah t- tell us more about that thing because I'm probably i probably confused by facts.
2: Yeah there was that wonderful book that that we you and I probably saw around the same time came out in the in the middle of the eight, mid 80s by Mark Lewison called the Beatles recording sessions and it went through in detail day by day what was done each day on each you know. You know what was done in each session. The hours were what difference between takes and, and what was added and how it developed. Isn't right. that fascinating? You know.
1: Uh, yeah, that's to me. That's as you say. That's peeking behind the curtain. You know, and yeah. and getting a chance to see like this is the nuts and bolts. This is how people did it. You know.
2: Yeah. Well, the important thing, as always with any of these things, is to number one either not talk over people's heads with too much geeky tech, and also don't talk down to them. Right. Right. Just I write the kind of thing I write the kind of things I like reading. <laughs> I mean, I, I, Lewison's like my mentor in terms of writing style. It's like, you know, put me in the room with them and, and <laughs> then you learn how it was done. You know?
1: Well, then is it a fair statement to say that you have met all four Beatles? Is that true?
2: No. Let's see, so I met, I met Ringo. Actually, so when I this was a funny funny thing is I remember when when I was doing those two Ringo. Uh, Albums in 94, so I was, still had my engineering job and I had to go up and l- look at tapes and stuff. So the place to do it was at Ringo's house in Beverly Hills. So his assistant, I, I would have looked over, you know, the, the, whatever records they had of, of what tape reels they had in their vault, the ones that he owned that are associated with these records. And had them pulled, and I had to go up there and, and look look, them, look at them and look over track sheets and, and understand, you know, look at this one. This is a different take. We should listen to this one. But I would have to go to his house, and, and there's, you know, there, I've I memorized the address still, uh, but I, I can't forget.
1: You yeah, know? Don't say it. <laughs> yeah, I
2: know. Not – oh, nice. No, so – but I remember going up to the, the gate there, and there's something that's indicative that you're at Ringo's house there, sort of. <laughs> and, there, and there's the – you know, his assistant was expecting me, so – and I pushed the button on the intercom, and she goes, yeah, hello. And I said, hi, it's me. She goes, okay. She pushed the button, the gate swings open, and I'm driving up Ringo's driveway for the first time. And I went, hi, it's me. <laughs> 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 that was pretty That was pretty
1: cool. That's cute. So, so wait, did you meet John Lennon? I'm trying to remember.
2: Never met Lennon. No, I did I did meet George in 92 when he, today being his, uh, this day that we're recording this, uh, his 75th birthday. Right. He had, uh, he was getting the Billboard Music Award Lifetime Achievement Award. And this was, and, and, and I was covering this for a, another Beatles fanzine I was writing for before this, the one I did. So I was there and, and uh, in the back, you know, the little press area in the back after they would come off the stage and come out. It was at Universal Amphitheater. And, it was the day after uh, um, that it had been announced that Charles and Diana were going to be breaking up. Wow! Yeah, right in front there, and, and here, here's this man just gets a, an award recognizing his entire career for, in, in music. And the, what do they ask him? Because he's English. <laughs> what do you think? What do you think of uh, Charles and Diana breaking up? And, and I watched him for um, <clears throat> I watched him for about a half a second. Think. I was right in, front of, right in front of him, and he went, I don't think they broke up. I think the press broke them up. <laughs> and there he is with the press, and they all grumble. And he goes, I think the British press are the worst. I think they should be taken out to the tower and beheaded.
0: <laughs> is that what he
1: said?
2: That's <laughs> what he said. Okay.
1: Oh, that's hysterical. So, right. So, okay. So, George and, and – uh, and Ringo, uh, Paul. you met Paul, right? Oh,
2: yeah, I've met met Paul too, and, yeah. and I've interviewed him. And uh, what about Yoko? I've met Yoko too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll
1: leave that right there.
2: Ringo, I'm. As uh, so I used to go when I was doing my my magazine, I used to go up. His producer at that time was Mark Hudson, remember from the Hudson Brothers, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and he. Um, he used to – he's a big fan himself, so he understood where a fan was coming from, the importance of fans getting to see – being on the process of Ringo making records. So he used to let me come up to his his little uh, studio in West L.A. and, um, and uh, just hang out either – rarely when Ringo was there, but he did eventually let me – uh, they were doing Ringo's Christmas album in the Mar- in March of 1999. He was on tour and he'd pop in when he had some days off and record it. two or three more songs, go back on the road, another week or two, come back and do some more. And they redid the the Beatles, you know, Christmas time is here again, the uh, the fan club recording they had done, right, and um, from '67. And uh, I, so I I, I I called up. I said, "Hey, you know, is, is he up there? Yeah, can I come up?" He says, "Yeah, come on up." So I came up and, and um, okay, you know, the, the engineer knew, as I'm friends with, Scott Gordon, said, uh, knew I wanted to do something, play something, you know, like a tambourine. Or, and he, he looks up and they were about to do this rhythm guitar track and acoustic guitars. And I he says, he says, looks at me knowing like, oh, boy, here he comes. He goes, he says, Matt, you play, don't you? I said, yeah. And Mark goes, you play? I said, you know I play. So he hands me a guitar. He says, here, now, don't play lead or anything. Just play. So we, we recorded this, and and uh, um, uh, and um, I actually that was when I saw Jeff last week. Jeff had recorded Jeff Emmerich had recorded that original version in '67. He'd never heard Ringo, so I, I played him. I had them both on my my phone, and I said, "Here." The, I was showing his assistant. This is Jeff's version, and here's the one that was done in. in
1: wow, uh, what a great story! And you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in and say, you know, for the for the listeners that. Uh, you know, you're you started out in one field, you know, yeah. and ended up where you are now because I'm not going to put words in your mouth, and if I'm wrong, please feel free to correct me. You have you have a you, you had many passions, and you know you enjoy talking to people, and as you say, you you want people to tell their story in their own words, and you're able to make that happen. So, point being for the for the younger people out in the audience that. You know, if you had been, quote, afraid, unquote, like, oh, I can't talk to him, or I can't do this, or I, I can't push the button and say I'm here, none of this would have happened. It's so, called chutzpah, yeah. <laughs> I was on <honest. laughs> okay. My
2: mother, yeah. yeah but, but, I got the science from my father, you know, they're wanting to know how it works, and the chutzpah from my mother. And my, my brother actually... My middle brother. My two older brothers are both in entertainment in, in Washington. My brother is a big, big concert promoter and club owner in Washington. He owns the 9:30 Club over there and runs Mary Weather Post Pavilion. It has a new, brand new, six thousand capacity, brand new venue wow. in in one, the Southwest Waterfront of um, called the Anthem. And just uh, Billboard just recently listed like the the ten or twenty new venues to watch, and that was number one. Wow. The, it opened in October with uh, Foo Fighters opening it. His friends with Dave Grohl, and so he he was there. Well, that's cool. But, but yes, yeah. yeah, I, I mean I I got used to being around famous people around him around him because he started doing shows in the in the early '80s, and he'd have me come back and watch you know uh, the Jam or, or whomever he had, and, and you know go backstage and hang out. He he taught me just he taught me just I do this still when I go on sets is to he says just act like you're supposed to be there. <laughs> Just go, right. just walk past him and go, excuse me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, yeah, well, I mean, I think you really hit it in the head. You know, you, you, chutzpah, or at least not being afraid to take a chance, you know, because uh, and not to talk about me per se, just in the audience knows, or I guess they know my story. It just fell into this job, if you will, literally, in oh, a way. Yeah. And But I wasn't afraid to try it. And uh, again, you have not been afraid to. To somebody say, can can you take over this magazine? Or can you come here to the DGA? Can you write this article? You know, I mean, I mean, certainly if you didn't have any of the um, chops to do any of that, you know, you, that might not have gone well. But but you knew intrinsically you could do that, you know, and so you thought, what the heck? I might as well take a chance. And moreover, which is great, anybody who's a star of that stuff, they're just people, you know. Yeah. I mean, you know, they yeah. they they they're just, they're just people. I just treat them as people, and, and that's and, that's that always works because it it's the human element that defines you treat us. them like
2: a star you know forget it yeah but but they 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 want to, what they want to talk about is what they do for a living they want to talk about their craft they don't want to talk about who they're married to or who uh, says what who cares <laughs> you know and the i i write for the cinematographers guild and and you know or if i do something for variety on a you know I, you know, when I, I remember, I, I was really lucky. I got to do two articles. In fact, one for Variety, one for the Washington Post, on a, a film that um, Nicole Kidman did called Rabbit Hole, and it was uh, it's, it's about grief. It's about grieving. It's about a couple that is still dealing with uh, Aaron Eckhart, as her plays her husband, um, still dealing with the loss of a of a small child they lost a few years before. It's about going through that grief process. We talked about the story, about her character, and about acting. And we didn't get to, into any of the other things everyone else always interviews or bothering her, bothering her with right and at the end of it i said to you, i said to her i said i said nicole what a, what a what a treat it's been to get to to you know talk shop with you I, 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 I said i've always said if anybody ever gets Nicole Kidman on the phone and they're not talking about acting." They're idiots. <laughs> They're an idiot, and she she laughed. She said, "I said I don't know how you deal with people getting into all your personal stuff. It's like, why you're not asking her about acting? Are you nuts? Right, right. She, and she said, she says I really appreciate that. <laughs> you know, right. Because no, I want to I want to know how she does what she does. Why why does she get Oscars? Because she's a great actress.
1: Oh, absolutely. Well, let's see. I'm gonna. Ask you a couple more questions here. Then we're going to wrap it up. One of the questions is uh, if you and I jump in the time machine, where um, I'm uh, the ghost of Christmas past, so to speak, and take you back to a point in your life. Is there a defining moment back early on that kind of is the the fork in the road happened, so to speak? I'm not saying necessarily about the the magazine, you know, which mm-hmm. you took over, but something earlier in life that that. You go, gosh, you know, had I not done that, I maybe would be selling insurance now, or right.
2: no? It would be the magazine because be nice. I, I, I was done with sitting in a cubicle, okay. You know, and um, I, I wouldn't be happy going back and doing that because here I get to meet my heroes and, and get to learn from them and. and Write about what they do. It's either in filmmaking or in recording. I, I write for Mix magazine, where I did that. I think I did a piece on, on you, your profile. And then, but I, you know, I write about do a lot of classic tracks columns. Like, uh, you know, I was on a plane listening to. It, I was on a JetBlue flight a, a number of years ago, and on the little little screen there, they had VH1 and they had Tommy James and the Shondells. I think We're Alone Now. And I thought that would make a neat classic track. I found them and. Interviewed him and got got the story and and it's uh, it's in mix you know that's and right. and and it you know the these wonderful venues give me the upper the the access to to people to they they want to tell their story to that audience so they're you know the, there's a lot of classic tracks pieces and stuff but that's probably it is because I, I remember sitting. There was a little barbecue place on Lincoln in Venice, not far from where you used to live, just south of, of Washington. Uh, I forget the lady's name it had on the it was on the west side of the street. I remember this guy had asked me, "Do you want to take over the magazine i was I had gotten laid off from my job. I didn't have any work and and uh I remember asking her she had her own business. She took her I said, "What do you think? Should I do this <laughs> you know and it was it, it came up, didn't it? It's the next thing for
1: you, you know, wow. Wow. So, so then, if you were going to give some uh, advice to the younger people out there listening, what would that be?
2: Follow your heart's desire. That's how you know what you're supposed to be doing.
1: Boy, that's. I think that's spot on, and I, I, I think, uh, I, I appreciate you saying that because that's something we kind of try to push. That's you know, a don't be afraid to ask questions. Worst that can happen is somebody will say no. Obviously, don't be a pest, but you know, just, just. Just put it out there and be, as you said. Don't be afraid, you know. Don't just take a chance. And uh, well, I, I appreciate you taking the chance for uh, talking to us today. And is there anything, Damn. anything particular right now that people could go to and find your, your work?
2: Yeah, if they're um, you can go to icgmagazine.com, Cinematographers Guild. If they're into learning about how uh, how films and television is made from from that side, there's always uh, there's features always have not only the camera team but but also uh, often the director. Like we had one last year on the making of Jungle Book, Disney's Jungle Book, and John Favreau's there talking about it. But it's a this complex camera system, but something that anybody can understand. Right. And so there's there's that uh coming up in the April issue of ICG will be a big feature I've just done with David Fincher on Mindhunter.
1: Ah, my my uh, that's a personal favorite.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool series. And then in Mix, uh I've a, a recent article on um yes the recording of Yes's I've seen all good people and roundabout with John Anderson and Rick Wakeman and the engineer Eddie Offord who recorded those. It would, wow. And feast that together. That was a big, big job. Also, if you're a Beatles fan in there, if you can search for Beatles Live, this is on MixOnline.com. That's Mix Magazine. Uh, you'll, you'll find the recording of and and restoration of the Beatles at the Hollywood Bowl and the Beatles at Shea Stadium. Wow. Where nobody had ever known about how that was recorded, and it was that's really interesting.
1: Oh, I, I can tell you what it is. I, I've, I know, I've. I, I oh noticed. you saw that one I did that's fabulous so and is there a website that you can go to see or just follow what you just said as far as checking Yeah. Out so,
2: so mixonline.com is Mix Magazine and then icgmagazine.com okay. and also on, on Variety the, uh, and Variety.com just put Hurwitz H-U-R-W-I-T-Z and Beatles and you'll see a few
1: things alright well Matt thank you so much for being with us today I really appreciate it hopefully you all enjoyed this episode and know there are more to come we had a bit of a break, but boy, we will be back bigger, better, bolder, and all those three Bs. So hope you all have a great one. And thank you for tuning in.